you are listening to Single Service. My name is Arno Martire, and I am your host. Single Service is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio. Jamie Derringer is an artist and founder of the popular design platform Design Milk and Clever Podcast. She's also an artist living in San Diego, California. Jamie and I recorded another podcast a few years back that appeared on the Truth is Golden podcast in 2018. It's episode 106, The Milk That Never Spoils. You'll find a link in the show notes. We talked then about our life up to that point. Go check it out if you'd like to learn more about Jamie. Today, we're reconvening to talk about all things Metaverse, Web3, and crypto, as Jamie has now taken the next step in her professional life after selling design milk to AHA Life in 2019. So, Jamie, thanks so much for coming back. Uh, It feels like an eternity since we last spoke. It does. It's so funny. Thinking back 2018, I mean, it really wasn't that long ago, but we were living in a completely different world pre-pandemic. And yeah, that was before I uh, sold Design Milk. So a lot has changed for me um, and for the world since then. Well, so so that's going to be my first question. Usually ask people, can you tell us who you are and what you do in three sentences or less? But given our podcasting history, I'll just refer people to the first podcast for that. Instead, Can you catch us up to what you've been up to since 2018? Of course. So um, as I mentioned, and as you mentioned in the introduction, um, I sold Design Milk in 2019, and I stayed on for three years as the chief creative officer and helped um, bring the brand into e-commerce. Um, and as everyone knows, during those couple of years through 2020 and 2021, um, and still right now, we're still kind of in a pandemic, a global pandemic. Um, so a lot of things shifted in the world as we know it. Um since then. But uh, yeah, I um, left Design Milk in March of uh, last year, 2022. And so it's been almost a year since I left. Um, And in the meantime, I took some some downtime and also uh, did some consulting and advising and also helped um, bring a new uh, art NFT gallery and platform called Tonic, tonic tonic.xyz, helped bring that to the world. Um, so yeah, I'm doing lots of things, making lots of art too, also. That's great. So you, uh, you told me offline that you, you are leaving Tonic. What's next for Jamie then? Yes. So, um, I don't know what's next for me right now. I'll be honest with you. Um, before I was helping Tonic, uh, full-time, I, um, was uh, considering launching a consulting company. So maybe I will consult. Um, but I'm leaving the, I'm leaving the possibilities open for me. So, um, I'm actually really excited about that. I think after leaving design milk, having the opportunities and possibilities be open was a lot more terrifying, but now I feel, um, I feel really good about it. So is that an open call for people to reach out if they have ideas? (laughs) 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm all over social media and it's just my name at Jamie Derringer. You can find me everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you're not hard to find. No. Um, so today, like I mentioned before, we're going to talk about the metaverse and Web3 and crypto. How did you get into that space? Well, I started by, I uh, jumped back on Twitter. I, um, I, I've had a Twitter account forever, but I jumped back on there and started seeing some of my friends um, sharing things about um, NFT artwork. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Someone had mentioned that technology to me like a couple years prior. And I, I thought it was really interesting, but I never dove into it. So this time I dove pretty deep down the rabbit hole of um, NFTs and what I could do as an artist. And so um, after making lots and lots of NFT art, I started thinking a little bit more broadly about blockchain technology um, and all of the other things that kind of surround that. There's like AI and metaverse and just Web3 in general and crypto and all of these things that are happening in technology that, that are really fascinating. There's a lot that can be applied to business in general. So after I kind of came out from um, making lots and lots of art, I started thinking about it as an entrepreneur, um, which is like the other half of me. Like I feel like Jekyll and Hyde, um, but they're both like, great. <laughs> I guess it's Dr. Jekyll and Dr. Jekyll, artist and um, entrepreneur. So mm -hmm. started thinking of it like from a business perspective and what impact it might have um, on our lives. And then I just started sharing those things on LinkedIn and started reaching out to friends and um, other, other people who were in those spaces to talk to them about what they were doing. I just was really curious. And that's always what's, what's driven me is my curiosity to find out um, what might happen. Um, and someone recently called me, I think, a, called me a futurist. And mm -hmm. I didn't ever think of myself as a futurist, more like a trend spotter. But now I guess I'm a futurist, which I accept and I like it. It's a, it's a cool term. And it's also so broad that you can really pretty much fit anything in it, which which can be great. Um, and I remember uh, when I was in school 15 years ago, Back then, futurists were people like um, this great sci-fi author, I forget his name, Bruce something, quite well known. Mm -hmm. And they were using their kind of expertise as, uh, sci -fi, as a sci-fi author to predict or, or to uh, forecast trends for the future, which was fascinating. So maybe there's something yeah. for you there. Um, I recently recorded another episode of this podcast with Andrew Lane and Tessa Bain of Digby. Um, the only reason I'm mentioning that is because it's a bit of a primer on all things Web3, Metaverse, and uh, uh, blockchain. So for yep. listeners that are interested in learning more about that world, I strongly suggest you go check out that episode. Uh, it just came out a couple months ago. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, I want to dive a little deeper into NFTs because I've only ever been looking at it from the outside with interest, but never really taking the jump. Mm -hmm. And there was this huge, I have an interest in blockchain more broadly speaking, and I'm quite, I've gone quite far, quite deep the rabbit hole in that, but not so much NFTs. And NFTs to me, when they came out, what was it, a couple of years ago or a year ago, something, uh, you had that craze where people were selling them for outrageous amounts of money. And and um, yeah. and and so that's the part that Denver quite understood because it felt like it was a bit of a bubble. But I also see the potential as uh, a, a tool to regulate um, the use of art and make sure that artists are fairly compensated since you have experience doing that and you've actually sold your own nfts can you tell us what's your take on this whole thing and 
Uh, look, maybe putting a bit aside the bubble aspect of it, which seems to have blown over now, and look at what the future holds for this technology and, and especially our independent artists. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of hype. And now that the dust has settled, the people who um, will be staying around are still here making wonderful work. And what what I really think happened is that technology, the pandemic probably escalated this or accelerated it in a way, but the, the technology innovations are coming head to head with the creator economy, um, which I think it it's really made it incredibly powerful for creators um, to take the next step in, you know, owning their work and being able to be paid for it. Um, we've been very beholden to platforms, uh, you know, social media platforms to help pay uh, creators. But I think that the uh, blockchain enables creators to take ownership of all the work they create. Um, they could mint their pieces on the blockchain and, um, have a perpetual royalty set. So for example, I might sell you a physical painting and let's say in 20 years, I become like the next Picasso or something. Um, and then you sell that painting for you know a million dollars. I don't get any of that money from that painting. But if it were an NFT piece of art, um, I could put in a royalty amount and I could continually be paid on that every single time it changes hands. So I think that's a really powerful way that creators can take the power back um, and hold that power. Uh, to be financially compensated for their work long term, no matter what happens to it and whose whose um, hands it, it ends up in, and it also what I, is really interesting to me too about it is it's like a very public ledger of provenance, so you can trace a piece of work back to its original owner on the blockchain, mm -hmm. um, because it's all public ledger. It's it's publicly available information, so you can actually authenticate a piece of work to its original creator, and I think that's incredibly powerful for designers, um, artists, any kind of creator. In addition to manufacturers, like if you think about the idea of like authentic furniture or authentic. Um, you know, works that that manufacturers or brands can take ownership to mm -hmm. as well. And then they could also pay a perpetual royalty to any collaborator that they work with. So I really be I, I believe it is a wonderful way for um, people to be able to uh, not only uh, authenticate ownership, but be paid for their work in perpetuity. Yeah, and that's very appealing. I'm a creator also in the commercial art world and the um Enforcing the the licensing is always a pain in the ass, to be honest. So I, it seems to be a great tool for that. Mm -hmm. um, and I also like the fact that creators now, um, or, or rather, especially in the art world, speculators get less power, and it's more power to the creators because, like you rightly said, if Picasso sold a painting in 1910 for a thousand bucks, and in 1960 it's worth two million dollars. He doesn't get any of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, in, in some sense, more fair that there is a royalty system for artists because it also incentivizes them to maybe put more out, art out there or not worry too much about the sell price early on and ensure that they continuously get royalties from the resell of their art if they ever become popular. Yeah. I, I think people in the design industry are, are slowly waking up to the fact that those technologies are coming. Um, but what, what, why do you think it's important for them maybe to educate themselves on the matter and, um, what are the implications for the design industry of all those, let's call it under the umbrella of web three, all those technologies that we mentioned? Yeah. All of the things that are happening right now in technology will impact how we interact in the future. 
Um, I think that, you know, I've had conversations very similar to this many, many, many years ago when social media started to emerge and Mm -hmm. I would be on panels or calls talking about why it's important for brands to have an Instagram presence or Twitter or Pinterest, whatever. Um, and now we're, this is the same conversation again with a different technology. So I believe there's like a place for all of these technologies that will impact design in some way or another. Of course, AI, we know will impact everything that we do. We'll be partnering or using it or collaborating it with it in some way or another in most of our um, jobs in the future. I believe that mm-hmm. NFTs will play a bigger role in the design industry for authenticating ownership and paying out royalties. But also the, the metaverse is another one that I really think is a big, um, very interesting uh, idea. <laughs> it, it's not here yet fully, and we don't really know how it will unfold. But I do think that immersive um, VR, AR types of technologies will be integrated into really interesting use cases. Like, I think right now it looks a little far off for a lot of people because a, a lot of what's being designed right now in the 3D space is uh, more like for gaming. And it looks very space age, very futuristic, not really applicable to, let's say, a boardroom or conference room. (laughs) Um, But I think that eventually we will be having, like we're on Zoom right now, we may be having this in a more immersive 3D environment where we feel like we really are sitting across from one another. And Mm -hmm. that, I think, um, enhances our experience of of talking and experiencing each other um, as humans, Um, because a flat screen really doesn't replicate you know, being in person, but at least a 3D immersive environment would do that. But I also think that there are, um, you know, ways in which that technology will impact design. I mean, right now we're already seeing AR and VR being used in interior design for walkthroughs, in construction, to see where things should be going. Um, That's already happening. And then I think like manufacturers will be creating digital twins of their products to be sold uh, virtually or just for um, their sales reps to use as a more um, as a better tool for customers to experience their products. Uh, Instead of seeing it on a flat screen, you can walk around it even if you're not in the same location. So I Mm -hmm. think there's a lot of benefits that feel much more applicable than like, let's say me having some digital land and some, you know, gaming metaverse, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So a lot of people are talking about that, but I think like the real use case scenario is like, you know, what we might need in our everyday, um, lives in, in doing business and interacting with each other which make more sense makes more sense because someone like me and i'm sure there's there are a lot of people that feel the same spending your day in a th- purely 3d metaverse is really not all that appealing um right. i'm much more comfortable with the idea of like augmented reality where you still live in the real world but you might have layers of information appearing here and there when you need them mm-hmm. um as a generally a tech skeptic, one of my biggest concerns, because we've seen that with the big tech and the social media world, is privacy. Uh, mm-hmm. I do know that uh, privacy is more baked in Web3 by virtue of how the blockchain operates. But uh, how do we make sure that the mistakes of Web2 and the rampant monetization of private data doesn't happen if it's at all possible, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, there are companies um, out there that are being built as we speak that are trying to give um, the ownership of data back to the user. Um, 
so that it is in my hands or your hands, like who sees and accesses your private data and information. We have basically given these companies away so much information when we register for any website, email address, date of birth. I mean, but they're able to know so much more about us um, Mm -hmm. than we even offer up. (laughs) Um, So I think that it will... I I believe that the blockchain can enable this um, data privacy so that we have more self-sovereignty and we can elect to sell our data um, or we can revoke access to our data uh, when we connect or disconnect from a website. And you can opt in or opt out as much as you would like. And then I think it would be great to be able to be paid for that. (laughs) So like we're not getting paid for giving all of these you know, companies are information that they then use to like sell to advertisers. Yeah. And yeah. I don't see a dollar or $2 from Facebook every time no. I log on. So it would be nice to be able to share in those revenue or to be able to opt out of that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Facebook, even if you don't have a Facebook account, there's there's evidence that they know a lot about your habits and where you go hang out online. So that's that's the I think the big hurdle that we'll have to overcome and those companies will have to get used to the fact that their business model is is first of all and that's just my opinion I think it's completely morally corrupt but also not viable in, lo- in the long term when people start waking up to the fact and maybe it won't happen maybe people will just be content to get access to free stuff and and have their data monetized but I think it's changing so hopefully we'll go in the right direction mm-hmm. um you mentioned a few minutes ago that you the conversations you're having right now about Web3, you had them a decade plus ago about social media with Web2. Do you see any parallels in the way uh, those two revolutions are happened and are happening? Is there any common themes since you've, you've already surfed that wave one time? Do you see similar things happening now or is it completely different? Yeah, I do see similar patterns. So the first one is people are just afraid of change. I think that people like to know what's going to happen when um, and how. Um, certainly the pandemic really threw us all off in having to, um, you know, force us to create new ways of living um, and question everything basically around us. Um, but I think that what we're seeing now is pushback on new tech Um because it seems scary to people. Uh, How are they going to have to change their lives? Um, What will they need to learn? Uh, Will their jobs become obsolete? Will they have to hire new people or learn a new skill? So I think there is a lot of fear. And so one of the things that I try to do in a lot of the conversations that I have is like demystify it and try to help people adopt it or even just dip their toe into it. Because in when we talked about social media in the early days, people really didn't just like understand why they needed these things to do business. And I'm I was trying to explain that like you'll need this because your customers are going to be there and you need to meet them where they are. This is kind of the same situation in that you'll you will need to a- adapt to these new technologies because that's where your customers will eventually be. Um, if you think about um, the Gen Z, uh, that generation has grown up. They don't know like a world without an iPad or phones or all of these technologies. Um, and my daughter, who's Gen Alpha, uh, doesn't know a world without Roblox. Um, mm-hmm. So these are the future customers, uh, consumers of all of the company's products. And so that's how they will expect business to be done. But it doesn't have to be overnight. Like companies don't need to jump right in and like adapt all of these things all at once. I think it's much more of thinking about, 
um, learning, dipping your toe into things, watching and listening and thinking about your client or your customer and how those folks will benefit from one of these types of services that you could offer. I, I think that brands and companies will need to think about their own customers and clients and figure out what makes the most sense. For example, back in the social media, early social media days, sometimes it didn't make sense for a brand to be on Facebook at all or Pinterest at all. It was just go to Twitter or just go to Instagram. Mm. Um, And I think that that's also going to be relevant here. You don't have to learn all of these things overnight. Um, You know, dip your toe into a couple and figure out where your customer might might end up gravitating toward and then just go in that direction. Um, But right now it's really a time to learn and just be open-minded and look at all of the opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if I asked you to write the healthy skeptics rule to approaching those new technologies, what would you uh, tell, how would you tell people to approach it? I approach everything being open-minded and optimistic and with curiosity. And I think that um, now would be a great time to gather uh, everybody at your company together or your friends and colleagues or trusted colleagues and just talk about it. Um, You know, get some new perspectives, find out who's interested in it and who might want to, you know, take a class on it or um, find out what types of... um, contractors might be able to help you expand your design business into like a 3D immersive environment. It may not be a skill that you need to acquire. There are many people out there who already do it. Just like in the beginning of the social media days, people had to find somebody who knew how to do social media and bring them onto their team. Mm -hmm. Um, This is much more about education opportunities and exploration. um, I think in these early days, I would also say that, you know, you talk about being a a skeptic. Um, I think it is very, very much a watch and learn and or educate yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I I, I, I know don't know what that I, that was good at all an answer. No. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's like so I, I know what I would do because I actually just wrote a piece on this whole thing as a, a kind of primer. So my approach was like, think about uh, what the technology can do for you. So the, the if you find a technology that's mature enough and has commercial potential, uh, for you and your clients, then by all means, jump right into it. If you find yourself uh, looking at a technology that looks promising but requires a lot of upfront investment for it to work. Uh, it might be worthwhile, but it's you should really consider if you want to put all those resources into it. But the third uh, um, kind of point I made is that there's also a lot of scammy things happening. Um, and so that's why I'm, I keep bringing the words skeptic up because you want to be wary of those snake old oil peddlers we've seen it with ftx and there's there's been frankly crypto exchanges blow crypto exchanges blowing up since 2013 or 2014 since the first one blew up mount gox nobody remembers today because it was still the early days of crypto but it happens every couple of years there's one that uh promises the moon and then it turns out to be a scam and then they blow up so it's like everything else, you know, there's Bernie Madoffs in every industry. Uh, so you just want to be careful with that. So that's kind of my approach. That's why I'm, I'm, I tend to be skeptical, but I'm also not a Luddite. I don't want to say don't approach new technology because it, it can be very beneficial. 
and and we've all benefited from it in some some way or another over the years. Um, but I think it's interesting to look at that. I, I like your approach of um, watching and learning and being curious because I think that's the best way to protect yourself uh, from scams while still learning about the important stuff and then eventually dipping your toes and and embracing it. So. Yeah, I don't think it makes sense for anyone to go from zero to 100 overnight um, with any of these technologies. I think it's a lot of experiment experimentation right now. Um, there's a lot of tools that are still being built. So I don't mm -hmm. think we were, I don't think we will see the full spectrum of what we're dealing with for another couple of years once new companies start emerging with um, really good utility and applications for this technology it still feels very much like we're in, you know, the beta version of yeah. all of these things. If if not even before the beta version, like mm -hmm. the, the alpha release or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk maybe about some specific applications. What are the most uh, promising ones you've seen so far? Oh, great question. Um, one of the things I think is really great, I mean, you've already talked to Andrew and Tessa from Digby, so I think their, authentic, their design authenticator um, is fantastic. And I love the idea of being able to um, trace originality and life cycle of a product using this technology. So I think we'll continue to see a lot of growth in that area. Um, I'm very interested to see what kind of hardware comes out in the next couple of years for AR. Um, I think that you mentioned AR as being something you're, you know, mostly interested in versus like being fully immersed 24-7, which totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we will see some interesting hardware coming out for AR. So I, I don't really see it as being something we're using regularly unless you're, you know, shopping every day and you've got, you know, your phone up and you can see the, you know, a sofa in your room before you buy it. Like that's a great application of AR technology that we already have right now. Yeah. It's been um, around for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this, it's going to explode if we, if we can have some glasses or something that helps us do that. Um, as we look around a room, we can see different enhancements or instructions. Like imagine if we had like enhancement on how to operate something or how to fix a, a problem with your car on the side of the road. Um, all of these things that you could possibly have instantaneous access to, like those I think are really exciting, but right now we're not there yet. So I can't say that's like something that exists that I'm really excited about, but we all have mm -hmm. experienced, you know, the idea of AR with these like shopping sites. So I just think it will get more and more interesting as it, um, as we go. And then I think the um, in the design industry, these applications of like metaverse type environments are mostly immersive so that you can walk through a, a house before it's been constructed and decide, yes, I like the sink here or no, I want the sink over there. Like those decisions are incredibly costly to do after the fact. Mm -hmm. So if you can make them prior to, I think it's fantastic. Um, and it also enables you to do things more quickly. If I'm un unable to get to a job site because I'm traveling, I can put on a headset or even just go into a, an application on my computer and decide where I want things in a home. Like that is fantastic. And I think that that, that will continue um, to get more widely used. Have you seen, uh, it just popped in my head as an, as an idea. Have you seen anyone 
uh, design an application where you could be and say you're in your house and you're looking to renovate or redecorate it. And then you could look at it through a VR system and then you see the finished product. Does that exist? It doesn't exist in that like there's no um, application for a, a homeowner to do that themselves. Um, there are certainly ways that you can create your own 3D immersive environments, but it's not like your house. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's that comes from a designer, but maybe that's something that will emerge over time where like consumers can go in and like scan their room and be able to change things around on their own and drag and drop um, doorways or, you know, um, furniture or whatever in there. I think that's really exciting. I mean, we already have things like, you know, the paint apps where you can put different paint colors on your wall and see what it looks like. So it would be cool to have like a fully immersive, mm -hmm. like redesigning um, experience for homeowners, but it it is available for um, designers and architects. And I've seen architecture firms as early as like five or six years ago doing VR tours of their buildings, but it doesn't seem to have become super common yet. Am I wrong? No, it's not. I think part of it is the hardware um, mm -hmm. and the infrastructure that we have for creating these has just been very slow. And at least now we're seeing a lot more momentum and acceleration in that. Uh, so I think we'll probably be seeing more and more of it emerge soon. And do you see uh, promising applications maybe more in the art world or the, um, the creator's world? Like it's, it's outside Huge. of design. <laughs> yeah. Huge applications for creators. Certainly from an, an artist's perspective, yes, the blockchain enables so much exciting stuff to happen. Like I could mint an, an NFT piece of art that evolves over time, that has sound, that has movement, that has, you know, that could be placed in an immersive experience or, or um, experienced immersively, like mm -hmm. in a 3D environment. So that's really exciting for artists. But I also think like... Um, if you think about like any creator, right? Any any designer, there's uh, tools out there already to be designing in 3D using your hands, um, you know, in, in VR. And I think it's only going to get more and more exciting for the creator. Um, so in, in the course of our preparation, you mentioned to me generative art. Can you mm -hmm. tell us more about what that is? Sure. So generative art is any kind of art that's created using an autonomous or semi-autonomous system, which is basically just a set of instructions. Mm -hmm. So it could be anything from like, it, it actually started to emerge. Um, it's been around for a really long time, uh, but there was a lot of uh, it in the 50s. Uh, Saul LeWitt, Damien Hirst, um, Marcel Duchamp, all of these artists have used instructions in order to carry out uh, artwork. Um, so the blockchain technology is really enabling this boom right now for artists that are creating work using uh, code um, and AI. So mm -hmm. um, AI is considered a type a type of generative art, but I also um, really strongly feel like artists who are writing their own code um, and using that to generate outputs of art are really making some incredible work that I think will be here for a long time. And that movement, I think, is going to um, continue to be on the rise. And these artists that are doing that right now will probably be collected by museums. So you just touched on AI and it's really uh, topical right now because everybody's talking about chat GPT and other technologies. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of those, um, was it DALI and other uh, uh, art generating AIs? 
And there seems to be a lot of fear about AI. And I frankly had similar fears until I started reading a little more about it and uh, and realized a few things that reassured me somewhat. Um, what do you think about AI? And, and um, should, is that something we should really be afraid of or be more like you and just optimistic and embrace? Well, I like your... Um your idea of being a, a little bit of a skeptic with AI. I certainly think it is um, a little bit scary, but I also, being the optimist that I am, can see um, the potential of this as a tool. If if we just think of it as another tool that mm -hmm. will enable us to do things more quickly, whether it's iterate on an idea more quickly or collaborate with others more quickly, or even just get a rough draft of something done Um, I'm the kind of person that doesn't work well with a blank canvas or a blank piece of paper. So having a starting point to just like get me going is sometimes um, necessary for me. So I, I I utilize it in that way to just kind of get my creative juices flowing. And then it's all me from there on. Um, but I can see how scary it can be. Uh, and also I understand the controversy around it. Certainly an artist who's, you know, spent 20 plus years honing their craft and developing a style, a signature style. And then just to have somebody type that into mid journey and generate an image that looks just like it can be like, that would be heartbreaking as an artist. Um, but I, I also feel like that could be a really great tool for that artist, or maybe it's time to push yourself into a new direction. But so that <laughs> as, makes sense. But know? I, I want to push back a little bit against that yeah, idea because, course. um, Yes, that type of art and this, let's say, this style can become much more accessible to just about anyone. But wouldn't the artist who actually is physically capable or even mentally capable to generate that art without any crutch, so to speak, wouldn't that art still be more valuable because it would still be more scarce than the AI generated art, which anyone can literally generate and therefore be more valued? Yeah, I think we can look at it like anything else that's been copy copied over time, right? Mm -hmm. um, Chanel handbags have been sold on the street in like all over the world, fake ones, um, for, you know, $15. Yeah. But the Chanel handbag hasn't gone down in price at all. And in fact, um, I believe some of the bigger brands said that the knockoffs are good for business because they direct people more to that brand as being something that people see. Um, or recognize. So mm -hmm. there are, yeah, there's two sides to this um, conversation. It's it's a, maybe even multiple sides, right? It's a multifaceted um, conversation. I don't think it's like a black or white issue. It's just like, let's talk about it and see where it, it goes. Yeah. I hope for the artist's sake that the original art from that artist continues to be valuable um, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. And I think uh, it's slightly it's like different approach to AI, but I think there's a lot of fears for for people who, especially white collar in white collar jobs or knowledge uh, workers that thought their jobs were safe. And now AI is threatening them, at least the lower level ones. I mm. think the higher level knowledge workers will still be in demand because the human mind hasn't been reproduced by AI yet. So we're still good for now. And And that's where I'm going to play the optimist on that front. I yeah. think what's happening is what we saw with uh, automation 100 years or 80 years ago when a lot of blue-collar jobs disappeared and were either sh shipped to China or replaced by robots. But um, 
it didn't destroy the economy. People just found other things to do. So it, it overall made humanity more productive and freed up a bunch of people to do other things that could keep moving the humans forward, so to speak. And I think that's what's going to happen with AI, at least in its current guise. I don't know what's going to happen when we reach general um, intel or, or general AI that's as or more intelligent than humans, but we're not mm -hmm. there yet. Um, is that a lot of those jobs are going to be, you know, the same way um, CAD killed the architecture draftsman. Uh, it didn't kill the architecture profession. It just re profession. It just re removed a whole bunch of jobs that were made redundant. I think it's similar what's happening. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think that's the case. And then those people will find other things to do. And maybe that's a good way to go back to the trades because there's a shortage of trades and we need trades to make the world work. So uh, maybe we're going to come full circle and, and change things around a bit. This is, yeah, I love that you brought it back to the trade because um, this is something that I feel really strongly about that there are there is a shortage of, of tradespeople and there are jobs available for that. Um, so I think that that's a really, really important point. And I would love to see more people enroll in in trade school. Um, I know that like going to college has been like beaten into all of us for so many years. Um, but I really think that trade is a respectable and amazing profession. And it allows individuals to become pretty like um, independent and or create their own businesses. So it's very mm -hmm. empowering. Um, yeah, but it yeah, is. it's it's tough work, but I, I think there's so much great opportunity in that industry. But if you look at it strictly pragmatically, you can make, um, I mean, I'm sure now it's well over 100 grand because of uh, inflation. But as a welder, maybe you study for a year or two and you come out of school and at 20, whatever, say 21, and you start making 100 grand right away or close to, I mean, that's not a bad career yeah, you're not going to make as much as a lawyer or a doctor, but you also not, don't have to spend 10 years plus in school. And, and all the student loans. <laughs> yeah, and pay and pay a half a million or a million dollars worth of student loans back. Yeah. So um, from a strict financial point of view, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I also think that a lot of people see the trades are, are, as being, you know, the plumber that's a little overweight that shows up at your house and shows your crack when shows his crack when he's <laughs> look, working under your sink. But you can be a plumber and still be a very educated and and well learned person. They're not mutually exclusive either. Absolutely. Um, so I'm I, I, I'm a huge fan of Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs because he's been advocating for trades for probably about twenty years now, and he says the same thing. Like the those people who he's met throughout his career a lot of them have become literal millionaires because they've started businesses and they've grown and now they have 10 20 50 people working under them yeah they work hard but it's rewarding and and it's it leads to a great quality of life so i i'm a big proponent and i think the colleges now have become just degree mills most degrees don't really lead to anything there's there are degrees that are useful like if you want to be an engineer or an architect like those are still valuable because they lead to great careers but uh, most degrees just are not the, the the cost is not worth the the effort anymore because the the you can't yeah. you can't find jobs with those anymore just plain and simple yeah and i think it's important to take into consideration is that four years better spent getting experience in a specific um profession um, or specialty versus sitting in a classroom 
School of Life, baby. That's, mm-hmm. what, that's where it's at. Love it. Yeah, I don't use my degree. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have one, but it feels I kind have, of useless. I have three, and I none of what I do directly applies. I mean, it's been they've been helpful in in learning about things that I work on every day, but I don't need them to do what I do. So I'm with you. Um, I have one more question for you, and it, it's it's switching gears a little bit. But you've there's been a um, community aspect to everything you've done at least since the beginning of design milk and it seems to be even growing as you move further into your career what do you think community is so important and what do you get out of it great question what do i personally get out of it yeah (laughs) um yeah um First of all, I think community is incredibly important. I think there's nothing better than bonding over similar experiences or things that you like with your peers that just makes you feel included. I think it's a very human need to be part of a group of people um, who are like-minded or who um, will care for about you or for you um, and you for them. I think that's just a very human thing that we all need. And coming out of the pandemic, even though we're kind of still in it, we are at least moving about the world again and seeing each other in person. Mm-hmm. And I think that people really are welcoming that um, much more than they would have if we hadn't been through that experience being stuck at home um, without human contact for so long. Uh-huh. Uh so I, I feel like it's definitely another one of those things that's been accelerated because of the pandemic is um, a really big in Web3 community is really big. Part of it is this post-pandemic phenomena, but the other part of it, I believe, is because for so long, we've been on these social platforms that are supposed to be social and connecting us and bringing us together. And yet somehow they've been somewhat divisive, um, also not really uh, friendly for conversation hard to really like have a conversation on social like you could maybe in the MySpace days. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it feels very much like you're shouting into a vacuum and you're not really seeing the interactions or meeting people like you would have in the early days. So I think there's this like backlash, um, uh, you know, that, that is more focused on ways that we actually can converse with each other. Mm-hmm. And there's been a movement back to um, in-person events and um smaller more intimate communities like things on on like communities on discord discord servers or um small groups of people on whatsapp where you know you all have something in common and you're bonding over that and i think a big part of web3 is about developing a community around something sometimes it turns into a brand and sometimes it's just people helping other people um with resources or coming together around something that they all love yeah. And I think it's fantastic. It's I've always been a community person my whole career uh, and my whole life. And so I feel like in the early days of the internet for me personally, when I started finding other people online who liked the things I liked, that was why I fell in love with the internet in the first place. So it's been the driving force behind my entire career. Yeah. And I think you and I, I are old enough to remember the days of Web 1 where you go to... Uh, IRC chats or or internet forums and and those yep. <laughs> were a true community. I remember I about I was around 2019 20, 20 I was part of this um computer forum cuz I was really into computers at the time for some reason. 
And uh, there was like a group of maybe 10 people that were on there all the time. And we'd become friends without even knowing what we looked like. And I thought that was really cool. But I think it got lost with Web 2. And I w- it would be awesome if Web 3 could bring that back somehow. I mean, in different form. But I mean, it is coming back, aspect. though. It really it's is. It's coming because... back in person, but I haven't seen it online that much yet. Yeah, Maybe so in the, the right spots <laughs> in the Discord servers that I'm in, it is like I'm having dinner this week with people I met in a community, uh, you know, that just so happened to be local, and it's bringing new friends to me, which I um I just thought wasn't possible with the internet the way that it was going these mm-hmm. days because I used to meet all my friends online in the early days, and and then it kind of uh, lost the excitement and the luster of like where we would gravitate toward each other or around something together but Mm -hmm. it seems to be moving back toward that and i really that's probably why i'm like extra excited about it because it reminds me of those early days where you could very easily and intimately connect with other people and even if you don't meet them in person they're still there online and you know um always there to to chat or be supportive and i love that yeah that was those were the days um so this what is discord is it the 21st century version of a forum Kind of. Yeah. I mean, basically, I I think it's um, it's just like a giant. Uh, it's an let me start that over. Discord is an app that you can use to either create your own server, which is basically just a group of um, like rooms that you can create, like chat rooms mm-hmm. around a specific issue or a brand or a person or whatnot. So um, anyone can create a Discord server and um it is typically like a uh, an invite only or private servers and some there's a lot of public servers as well that you can join around certain issues or or brands that you like so it's just another way to connect with people online so is it similar to slack but less business oriented then um i would say it's very similar to slack okay yeah. that now it's starting to make sense that's how yeah. out of touch i am because i don't know discord it's okay it's very confusing for first timers um i think the reason why i'm comfortable with it is because i i've been creating forums and internet communities for so long that i'm just kind of used to it but um it's very similar to slack gotcha um i think that's all the questions i had for you so do you have any last words of wisdom for our listeners about uh what we talked about today um, I've been asked this a lot in like most of the talks that I've done and my takeaway is usually to maintain your optimism and your curiosity, mm-hmm. um, in exploring new frontiers of technology and what it can do for you or how you can use it. I advise against being scared and pushing against it because, um, it's going to advance whether or not you embrace it. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, embracing it makes it much easier to deal with, even if you don't love it. So I think, yeah. It might be, be a, it might open. be a bit uncomfortable at first, but like humans are very resilient and adaptable. So eventually, absolutely, I think if you, because we've all done it before with one way, one thing or another, eventually, if you get you get familiar with something and it's less scary and then you get used to it and then it becomes part of life. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, uh, Jamie, thank you very much. That was great. And uh, hopefully we'll do another interview this time uh, in less than six years. <laughs> thank you.
Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. Please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.